On this Sunday, set aside each year for acts of remembrance, what exactly are we remembering? There was a war which was optimistically granted the office of the war to end all wars, but wars have been continuous in the century since then. So, when those who choose to stand silent for two minutes in their lives on this day, what's going through their minds? If they have a relative, a friend who lost their lives in conflict, it will probably be in a recent war or conflict, or even in a so-called policing action, as in Northern Ireland. Our chief minister Alfred Cannon served in Northern Ireland, as did our governor. This reflection of remembrance is, by nature, sad. A recall of what is lost, be it lives or be it ways of life. My uncle, who I was told was the pride of his family, chose to leave the anti-aircraft battery in Wales, where he'd been stationed, to fly Lancaster bombers. Although he didn't like flying at all, he completed tens of missions and was awarded the DFC before he was shot down. His mother only found out that he'd been killed at the end of the war when his grave was discovered in Germany. The housemaster at my school flew Spitfires. The principal, the remarkable Jeffrey Rees-Jones, led commander raids into occupied Europe. As did the headmaster at my preparatory school, but I was too young at the time to appreciate what was involved in that. On this island, we have not had to endure war. War by proxy, yes, reading and hearing about it, as in the Ukraine, which is shocking, but not devastating. As it is for those who experience it. Invades Ukraine in the capital. Helicopter attacks capture the airports, and Russian troops are reportedly inbound. Ukraine is under attack by land, sea, and air. The Russian invasion appears designed to decapitate the country and install a new regime. The loss of life and human suffering could be immense. Tonight, it is not only the Ukrainian borders that are being trampled over, but also the security in which we in Europe have lived our lives. For 70 years, no two major countries on this continent have gone to war on this scale. That era is now over. A dangerous new era is beginning. Ushered in by Vladimir Putin. Oh, they did hurt. 
Brothers in Arms by Mark Knopfler is thought to be about a wounded soldier on the battlefield, perhaps the Falklands conflict, seeing death approaching. Sir? Yes, Lieutenant? I'm scared, sir. I'm scared too, sir. I mean, I'm the last of the tiddly-winking leapfroggers from the golden summer of 1914. I don't want to die. Really, not over-keen on dying at all, sir. How are you feeling, darling? <laughs> um, not all that good, Blackadder. Rather hoped I'd get through the whole show. Go back to work at Pratt and Sons. Keep wicked for the Croydon gentleman. Married Doris. Made a note in my diary on the way here. Simply says, bugger. For the next few minutes, it's perhaps the chance to stop considering day-to-day -day life in this peaceful island, but instead to reflect on lives, sometimes it seems lives that are carelessly thrown away. A recent article I read observed, wars are planned by old men, but it is the young who are sent to die. In narrow lanes and in woods, and gardens in some places rarely visited, but also in public areas, nature's annual metamorphosis is underway. Trees bow their branches and shake off their dying leaves because it is autumn. There is dying back now, but rejuvenation will follow in the spring. The season's disintegration and autumn's colourful rot is a necessary process. We even enjoy the show provided, the gaudy, dying, russet leaves curling and twisting before the rot sets in. Nature is pragmatic in its actions and brutal in its work. The lion destroys the cubs of its predecessor to ensure its own rule and hierarchy. The killer whale hurtles up the breakers to drag away a screaming seal. Tiny baby turtles desperately scramble for the safety of the sea as the birds swoop down. Lemmings dive down to destruction. But in its cruelty, nature does discriminate. While appearing to encourage the success of one species over another, the holistic success of all life is a result. Organised war between 1914 and 1918 didn't discriminate. What happened across Europe was indiscriminate. It was mass death on an industrial scale. Death in action is, of course, nothing new through history. Extraordinarily, and despite the lessons of the past, experience does repeat itself. Rudyard Kipling was a keen observer of the English presence in Afghanistan a hundred years ago. A scrimmage 
in a border station, a canter down some dark defile, two thousand pounds of education drops to a ten rupee jizile. The crammer's boast, the squadron's pride, shot like a rabbit in the ride. In the First World War, the arithmetic success against cost was spectacularly out of balance. The young officer, brilliant in his schooling, poised, it seems, for a life rich in accomplishment, waits in the trench for the whistle that will send him and thousands of others into oblivion, into the hail and hell of metal that waits in no man's land. A young private, newly married with a child, knows that a few yards gained will probably take, in return, the lives of himself and the man to his left and the man to his right. I have stood in shocked awe at the approach to Tiepval and seen that immense monument to some of those who died in the fields of France in the First World War. I have ant-like walked among its massive pillars and seen my great-great-uncle Ben's name carved on Luchin's mountainous monument, crowded, crowded among the 72,000 names of other men with no known graves who died in this corner of this field in this war alone. That's 72,000 who have no known graves, as well as the countless thousands whose graves are known. There have been examples of men who, when confronted with appalling situations in battle, suddenly draw from deep inside themselves remarkable heroism and bravery. Such a man was Manxman Robert Kane, the only living VC to come out of Arnhem, the battle to capture a number of bridges in the closing stages of the Second World War. Major Kane, who was a mild, quiet man in civilian life, reacted in an extraordinary way when he saw the carnage being caused amongst his comrades. As far as Major Kane's part, it, it, it is extraordinary when you read it. Um, it it's almost as if, as if he was obviously a marvellous officer, but for a stage he was, he was with the rest of the men fighting, then something happened that made him really angry. It's almost like that. He suddenly exploded, and then after that, he, no matter what appeared, tiger tanks or whatever, he just grabbed a weapon, appeared usually, uh, one of these uh, anti-tank weapons, and just went for it. Yes, but uh, I, th I quite agree with what you said there. He, he was a, a marvellous type of, of officer. Inspirational. Inspirational, definitely. Very decisive. But he rose to the occasion as well. And when he, he had got as far as, say one and a quarter miles of Arnhem Bridge and they were driven back uh, he took a hundred men under his command not all of his own uh, regiment of his home battalion and then came into a wooded area between Osterbeck and Arnhem and found that they couldn't dig in because the roots of the, uh, of the trees and I think being confronted then by, by self-propelled guns and tiger tanks, you, you, he, he was just bloody mad. 
Eventually, some of those fighting in and around Arnhem, including Major Kane, were able to withdraw across the river. Comradeship, fighting for the man to your left and the man to your right, can extend to being part of a regiment, its history, embracing its tradition. In the television series The West Wing, Toby helps to arrange the formal funeral of a military man he's never met, but who's died of cold, homeless, in the streets of Washington. Hi. Yes, sir. How you doing? I'm fine, thank you, sir. Apparently, I've arranged for an honor guard for somebody. Yes, sir, I'm sorry. No, no, just tell me, is there anything else I've arranged for? We're still in NATO, right? Yes, sir. What's going on? A homeless man died last night, a Korean War veteran who was wearing a coat I gave to the Goodwill. It had my card in it. Toby, you're not responsible. Took an hour and 20 minutes for the ambulance to get there. A Lance Corporal, United States Marine Corps, 2nd of the 7th. I got better treatment in Pan Munjong. Toby, if we start pulling strings like this, you don't think every homeless veteran will come out of the woodwork? I can only hope, sir. When is this thing? I'm going to pick up his brother and go there now. Someday the sun will shine again, and I shall see that still the skies are blue, and feel once more I do not live in vain, although bereft of you. Perhaps the golden meadows at my feet will make the sunny hours of spring seem gay, and I shall find the white may blossom sweet, though you have passed away. Perhaps the summer woods will shimmer bright and crimson roses once again be fair, and autumn harvest fields a rich delight, although you are not there. But though kind time may many joys renew, there is one greatest joy I shall not know again because my heart for loss of you was broken long ago. Slaughtered in a morgue of marines 
For the vast majority of the Manx population, wars can be viewed from a distance, and that has been the case for decades. But in 1914 and 1940, Manx people suddenly became involved. They understood what it was to crouch for cover and hear possible death coming towards them, or face appalling mutilation as they fought on battlefields across the world, to see people they knew and were friends with die feet away from them. Today, when we remember in particular the sacrifice of those people, we'll visit again the battle perceived to be the turning point in World War II. It was fought in the desert not far from Cairo, its name El Alamein. The Manx Regiment were there, with their CO, Colonel Henry Kelly. opened with this tremendous barrage that um, lasted for quite um, a long time. I'd never seen anything like it. The noise was overwhelming and the whole sky was lit up like um, uh, a very busy Guy Fawkes night. These were the British guns? These were the British guns opening up to soften the uh, German position behind the uh, minefields. What exactly did you have to do as the uh, commander of your, your particular First battery? battery yes. um, the other two batteries of the Manx Regiment, the Territorial Batteries, 41 and 42, were protecting our 25-pounder uh, batteries down below the slight escarpment. The, during the, the um, night of the 23rd, after the barrage, the sappers had cleared two routes through the first minefield, which was called January. There was an escarpment leading up to it, so it was difficult, really, to, um, with soft sand to, um, to, 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 to get through. You had to get guns through, in fact. And uh, at five o'clock in the morning, yeah. when they'd secured the, um, the t- cleared the two minefields, I was ordered to get uh, two troops of my battery up through the minefields, through um, the first minefield, to to protect um, each of the two bridgeheads which um, the division had opened up. How successful were you? Well, the division had uh, were quite successful getting through the first minefield, but after th- nearly three days slogging. They never got um, never got through February. So far as the battery was concerned, the first morning of the battle, we managed to knock down one um, German Messerschmitt. Um, unfortunately, there were two hills just to the south of us, which the free French who were attached to the Seventh Armoured had been told to capture. At first light, they had captured it, 
but with soft going before they could get up their anti-tank guns, the Germans had counterattacked, mm. and they secured the um, t the two hills again. And for the rest of that day, we were getting shelled by the German guns on top of these two hills, called Hermimat. Did you have casualties? Yes. Before twelve o'clock, I lost one man, killed and ten wounded. After the battle is over, what, what, what sort of feelings do you have then? What sort of feelings do the men have then? I think um, those that um, survived the um, battle always had a tremendous feeling of um, exhilaration. It seemed to brace the, um, brace the spirit and also an intense feeling of comradeship. Mm. Um, which held the whole regiment t t t together. Yeah. El Alamein and Colonel Henry Kelly of the Manx Regiment. When the troops came ashore in France for Operation Overlord, the invasion of German-occupied Europe, Bill Harrison, a joiner in Civvy Street, was with them. First, though, we'll hear the remarkable Hector Duff's memories of coming ashore through the hail of bullets and shells. Every vehicle that was coming ashore didn't get ashore. The beach was littered with men that had been shot. Oh, it was a terrible sight, sight you'll never forget. There were literally hundreds of bodies floating about as we were landing. And the old brigadier that was with me he said, well, we're back in the war again now. Um, the ramp went down and we went off and the tide was out. We had a long drive to get up through the beach and we were met with an awful lot of shelling. You didn't have time to stop and think there about your danger. Most of the bodies that we seen were ships that had been hauled or, or shelled yeah. and sunk, and the bodies of the soldiers with their equipment on drowned, right. and they were dr then they were floating in the water. Yeah. And my first uh, uh, thing when I came off the craft... Made, made our way up to a hedgerow to get cover and there was a great heap alongside us, about, four, about six of us there and uh, I remember the blankets and we just lifted the blanket and there was some of the uh, the dead infantry mm. covered over. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. So we uh, then were checking up for mines on the beaches till the next day when our barges had come over by the tugs and for two weeks we did beach work such as uh, using these barges to ferry out prisoners to the uh, supply ships and bring back ammunition and rations and various other equipment. Where did you sleep overnight? Uh, on the ground? Well, we we dug in actually in a field just the other side of the road. Mm. We, we, we always... I never seen a bed till later on in the campaign at a place called Blerick. Yeah. Uh, but what, what we used to do was two men, we'd dig a, a trench about two feet deep and put the ground sheets on it and you'd get a couple of hours sleep and then on duty for four hours and uh, so on. Mm. And if it was wet, you use your gas capes to cover you over. You wouldn't be under fire, though, in any case at this time, would you? Uh, I, well, there was shell fire, yeah. but that was more or less... In the distance. Yes. Hmm. 
We women teach our little sons how wrong and how ennoble blows are. School and church support our precepts and inoculate the growing minds with thoughts of love and peace. Let dogs delight to bark and bite, we say, but human beings with immortal souls must rise above the methods of the brute and walk with reason and self-control. And then, dear God, you men, you wise, strong men, our self-announced superiors in brain, our peers in judgment, you go forth to war. You leap at one another, mutilate and starve and kill your fellow men and ask the world's applause for such heroic deeds. You boast and strut, and if no song is sung, no laudatory epic writ in blood, telling how many widows you have made, why then, Penforce, you say our bards are dead and inspiration sleeps to wake no more? And we, the women, we whose lives you are, what can we do but sit in silent homes and wait and suffer? Not for us the blare of trumpets and the bugles call to arms. For us no waving banners, no supreme triumphant hour of conquest. Ours the slow dread torture of uncertainty. Each day the bootless battle with the same despair. And when at best your victories reach our ears... There reaches with them to our pitying hearts the thought of countless homes made desolate and other women weeping for their dead. O oh men, wise men, Superior beings, say, is there no substitute for war in this great age and air? If you answer no, then let us rear our children to be wolves and teach them from the cradle how to kill. Why should we women take waste our time and work in talking peace when men declare for war? Young Willie, my bride Do you mind if I sit here Down by your graveside And rest for a while Need a warm summer sun I've been walking all day And I'm nearly done I see by your gravestone You are only nineteen When you join the great fallen in 1916 I hope you died well and I hope you died clean our young Willie McBride was it slow and obscene did he beat the drum slowly did he play the five lowly did they sound the death march as they lowered you down and did the band play the last post and chorus? Did the pipes play the flowers of the forest? Are you really my bride? I can't help wondering why. Do those that lie here know why did they die? And did they believe? When they answered the call Did they really believe 
that this war would end war. Well, the sorrow, the suffering, the glory, the pain, the killing and dying were all done in vain. For young Willie McBride, it all happened again, and again and again and again and again. Did they beat the drums slowly, did they play the fight slowly, did they sound the death march as they lowered you down? Did the band play the last post and chorus? Did the pipes play the flowers of the forest? Did they beat the drums slowly, did they play? Thank you. 